0: This is The Film File, this is episode 83, and we are The Film Geeks. Hello, 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 and welcome to The Film File, the film show for Film Geeks by Film Geeks. I am your Film Geek Leader for today, I am Lee Ford, and
1: the other Film Geek Leader is... Just me over here, Andy Meekin. Hello, Andy. How are you? I'm I'm good. Um, I, I I proper crashed the other night. Uh, first first proper sleep that I've had. As, as I said last week, I've got a lot of work going on, and it's been very. Even though it's not been hectically busy at work, I've been hectically busy myself. And well, you've got staff down, haven't me. you? At the moment, we are we are um, significantly down. Uh, the boss boss man is on holiday. Uh, one of the other managers is currently off. Um, for a few weeks as well, which has put a lot of pressure on the rest of us as a team. But, you know, we're getting through it and I'm working like extended hours to do it. But it should all return back to normal this week and I can't wait. Uh, But... Just as we were about to start recording today, I got an alert to say that I'd had a new follower on Twitter. And this is going to come across as really geeky and really sad and pathetic. And you go, what's the fuss? But I I went on to just quickly check to see who the new follower was. And it was Dave Bradley. And for those who don't know, Dave Bradley is a writer and critic. And podcaster, uh, but he's known to me for his work with SFX magazine for quite a substantial time. He was the boss of SFX magazine for quite some time, and I've always found that his reviews and his writings have always been something that I agree with. You know, we've all got that one critic that we look to who seems to share the same opinion as us, and so we look up to them and we respect them. And Dave Bradley was that one for me. So t- for him to suddenly be following my account on Twitter was uh, was quite a pleasing surprise. Made even more the pleasing, but also slightly embarrassing by the fact that I'm a big fan of Dave Bradley's and I wasn't following him. So uh, that's been rectified now. So, Dave, if you are listening to the podcast, thank you. Thank you for following me. That, that's really warmed the cockles of my heart. And I apologize for only just following you back.
0: Well, hopefully we can say at some point, Dave Bradley, welcome to the Filmfile family it would be good to get on as a guest,
1: wouldn't he? It'd be great to get him on. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to him at some point and Just go, wow, I'm so proud. I've got all my SFX magazines to one side with your name on it. Uh, <laughs> okay, can, we, can we be friends?
0: Oh, you're geeking out. You're geeking out. Well, geek I am a, a film
1: geek. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But generally, because of all the workload that's been going on, I've kind of slowed down a bit on films that I've watched this week. I I, I still watch four or five films in total, and we'll be talking about some of them later on. But usually for me, I watch like at least 10 films each week. It's usually half half of them are new releases or something that I've not watched before. The rest are just old favourites that I return to. Uh, So it... It just feels like a weird week for me. But it doesn't mean that I've not been watching anything because I'm back on the BritBox fix again. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I know that I harp on about nostalgia and we shouldn't, shouldn't all just, you know rely on nostalgic memories of things. But BritBox is is just exactly that. It's nostalgia and it's a chance to go back and revisit things from a childhood. And I'm back onto the Grange Hill again because more seasons got added on recently. So I'm working through them. I'm still within the Tucker Jenkins era. But it's, it, it's one of them that, whilst the nostalgia factor in me makes me go, oh, I remember watching this as a kid. So obviously I'm going to attach myself to it slightly. I'm watching it now as an adult. And I don't remember a lot, of these, a lot of these episodes and I never realized exactly how well put together Grange Hill was. It, was. it never pandered down to the child mentality. It approached it as a drama about children that children could watch set in a school. And it really is a great example of children's TV at its best.
0: And that's why it stood out. That's why it was it was considered the classic. Yeah, no, I loved it. Honestly, I loved it. It was a big impact when it came out. It was. Um, I'm a bit older than you, and so I remember the first episodes, and it was, it was the talked about program.
1: So last week we spoke with Adam from. Uh, Apple Park films yes, we talked about, the maya. about his latest project the maya which is going through a crowdfunding at this point in time and it's it's halfway through the crowdfunding now Brilliant. there's still two more weeks left to um, get some backers and it's up to 63% which is looking pretty good um, genuinely this film looks interesting it looks like a great exploration of you know personalities cults and it, and and manipulation and you know what can we trust and how people can lie the ways into the most vulnerable parts of our lives. Check it out greenlit.com slash project slash maya or follow Adam at Apple Park Films over on Twitter and find out about this film and get some backing. You don't have to go in with a huge amount, you can put in just a couple of pounds. Every pound helps. And if everyone can put in then, you know, you can say that you helped create something by getting behind it. I've gone in for the £25 option, which means that I get to do a screening alongside the cast and crew of it, um, a virtual screening, uh, where they will be talking about the making of the film at the same time. And I'm quite looking forward to that. And once that happens, I will report back on the whole experience and the film itself on the show.
0: And you know what? All the time that you're sat in a cinema thinking that could be me, Those credits, or I'd love it to be to my to see my name on a big screen. This is your opportunity, and this is how young filmmakers and not necessarily, I mean, in age wise, but young as in breaking into the industry start by getting their work out there. And you can be a part of that. So, for this week's show, what do we got? Well, we are doing a deep dive into probably my favorite science fiction books film adaptation, and that is Logan's Run. Die, runner. Die. Uh, we'll be giving you our thoughts on the following films. For me, I'll be talking about Blood Red Sky.
1: And I'll be talking about Free Guy, which landed at the cinemas this week. Boss Level, which landed on Amazon. And True Life spy drama, The Courier, which you can find also at the cinemas this week.
0: We'll be giving you our thoughts on the new Marvel series, What If?, which launched last week on Disney+. Plus. And of course, before any of that, no show would be complete without Andy Meekin trawling through the wasteland that is the internet to bring you all the news, all the rescheduling, all the goss in the item that has now become internationally renowned for its only title of the news. And Andy. We're gonna start the news this time. Shall we start with box office?
1: Of course we should, because
0: (laughs) we're like a finely tuned machine, aren't we? (laughs) Finally.
1: It's a tradition. So and it and it is good news on the box office this weekend because Free Guy opened in the US and internationally this weekend, and it's had a strong start. Another film which doesn't have the backup streaming option. That is doing over the level that it was predicted for. This is a curious (laughs) turn of events, isn't
0: it? It's like we're in a whole new territory, a strange new world.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Sean Levy's film, which stars Ryan Reynolds, which we will be discussing later on in the show, pulled in twenty-eight point four million US dollars over the weekend, and an additional twenty-two point five million internationally for a total haul of fifty-one million dollars, with one hundred million budget. This is well and truly on its way to profit, and it should avoid the large drop-offs that streaming split films have seen. Because you know, there's no no piracy that's going to look good on this one.
0: And <laughs> uh, you know, this could be the future. We could be moving into a world where there is no split streaming.
1: Um, yeah. So, in addition, the film also saw a spike in admits of twenty four percent between Friday and Saturday which is a first for the summer season. Usually you see a drop off from the Friday to the Saturday because everyone rushes out to see it first and then it goes. But this showed that this film could have legs. Um, it's not top-heavy with interest, and the word of mouth on the film is very, very positive. I've seen a lot of people online saying, oh my, this was much better than expected, and other people responding saying, that's it, I'm making a move to the cinema to go and see this.
0: And that's that's what it had to take to do, wasn't it? It had to have that word of mouth. I remember a time, not so long ago, where the first day opening wasn't how you counted a film. You counted it on how it did over a period of time. And then some movies found their footing and and did remarkably well because of word of mouth, because of good vibes, because of people wanting to see it. Last film that I remember uh, being a word of mouth film would have been something like Greatest Showman, which opened low. I don't know we've mentioned it, but opened low. And it was word of mouth that kept it in the cinemas for so long.
1: Yeah, uh, Greater Showman is a perfect example. The word of mouth on that kept it going right up until the Blu-ray home release. And even then, we were still showing it at our cinema and selling out screens because people just wanted to experience it on the big screen because the big screen is an experience. Um, On the back of the performance of Free Guy, Ryan Reynolds has confirmed that a sequel is already being greenlit in, in, in his message online. It was, and after three years messaging hashtag free guy as an original IP movie, Disney confirmed today they officially want a sequel. Woohoo! Hashtag irony. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the box office flip side, however, Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe spin-off, which opens this week in the UK and we will review next week. Um, it was out a few weeks ago in the US and elsewhere in the world, but it struggled to pass $35 million worldwide after three weeks. And so, Paramount have already dropped it onto streaming in the US and will do similar next week internationally. That's a very short turnaround, a three-week turnaround before it drops onto streaming. And
0: I'm not going to say the eternal words of, I told you so, but world, we told you so, and especially Paramount, you weren't listening. Look, G.I. Joe doesn't mean anything to your average 12, 13-year-old. It's a thing of the past. And, and therefore... That's why it's not finding an audience, because the the audience that it's looking for doesn't know who Snake Eyes is and doesn't care.
1: Exactly. Um, And elsewhere, the next Hotel Transylvania animated feature has been snapped up reportedly by Amazon for streaming. Although the deal is still in the early stages, so there's no date or details being announced but a reported $100 million was spent for the rights. The film was originally slated for cinema release in October, and it's a Sony animation. So this surprises me that Netflix themselves didn't get first pick on this one.
0: Yeah, because they're in the Sony animation business, so we were led to believe. Yeah. All things Sony were coming through Netflix. Now, talking of Hotel Transylvania, is that one of those franchises which have kind of run out of steam and therefore... There's no expectation with it anymore.
1: I think that might be the case. Even Adam Sandler didn't return to voice his character in this one. Um, The rest of the cast all returned, but he notably hasn't, which suggests that even he's gone, yeah, I'm a bit past that now. Let's move on. It's apparently going to be the last Hotel Transylvania film. They're they're confirming that this is the final outing, but maybe the last one should have just stayed as the final outing. We'll see. It might get a good reception when it comes out. Who knows? Quickly moving on to there's a lot of anger right now online as director Denis Villeneuve has compared the idea of watching Dune at home to, in his words, driving a speedboat in a bathtub. I love it. I love that analogy. (laughs) I mean, the analogy is a tad stretched, but the point he's making, which many online seem to want to ignore, is that he made the film to be shown on the biggest canvas he could with intricate geek detail and epic scale, which he personally feels would be lost on a smaller screen. But as you can imagine, clickbait journalists and online commenters have gone on the attack, citing how they saw Jaws and Jurassic Park on TV and they were great and they loved film because of it, so Villeneuve is talking rot. At the same time, they ignore the fact that the cinema legacy of those films was the reason why they were <laughs> such course. must-see events on the home release.
0: Oh, spare us. Spare us their witty commentary.
1: We've all seen films first on TV and loved them, I, to me, 2001 and Alien, I saw first on home release and absolutely adored them and both of those films are ones that I have f- later seen on the big screen and loved them even more for the experience of seeing them on that large canvas. so don't try to play this whole uh, you can watch things on TV and have the same experience, yes you can still love something on TV But on the big screen, somehow it has a bit more magic. There are some films that don't work on the big screen, but big event films genuinely do. Do you remember when everyone loved Avatar and then it came out on home release and everyone hated Avatar because you could see the flaws? That's the point Villeneuve is making. Absolutely. I'm with
0: him. I'm absolutely with him.
1: Absolutely. I'm not saying that if you only watch it at home, you can't enjoy it. You probably could, but he's made it for this experience. The film community online at the moment is split into two warring factions. (laughs) And there's been some absolutely abhorrent things screamed across the internet over the past 24 hours. I'm so glad. People have been getting personal abuse for liking cinema or for saying that they're happy with home viewing. And I've even seen one person who, when he was, when someone who he's arguing with says, look, let's just agree to disagree, and took the like simple stance of like, we're never going to come to, like, we're never going to reason with this one. We can't agree on everything. It's your opinion. He then started getting up sulky with a response of I don't know why I bother coming here to say things it's like because you're sharing an opinion you don't have to try to force people to agree with your opinion it's horrible online at the moment I'm telling you you, I've backed away
0: that's the reason I just avoid it because I I I don't get involved I I have done in the past and and I end up sitting back in my chair mocking smile across my face and going (laughs) I'm going to check the uh, dictionary to see what the definition of pathetic is. Oh, there it is. I don't have to. It's in front of me. It, it doesn't matter. You know, you're entitled to This is it's a kind of a weird age that we're living. And I, I, I will at some point when we're not chatting on, on air, heard a really interesting sociology professor in America talk about this, that people aren't allowed to disagree anymore and they have to fall in line. It, it's bizarre, I don't get it. I mean a healthy, healthy debate, absolutely, but once you start clutching your pearls because someone's disagreed with you, please that's why i don't I don't get involved because I don't get angry. I just I just become disappointed in in, in yeah. the, the fact that people are arguing about it.
1: If you're fine with watching things at home, that's fine. If you're fine with watching things on the big screen, that's fine. We all have our different preferences, and no one's saying that your experience is less than other persons just because you've chosen the way that you want to do it. That's how you choose to ingest this material. Just everyone just, why can't everyone just get along? <laughs> I mean, Villeneuve, Villeneuve is basically the, the the recent Nolan or Scorsese for causing film Twitter and all the film and me, like media journalists out there to absolutely declare battle lines. And it's, it's horrible. I've stepped away from Twitter for a few days. I've just, I've, I left a message this morning saying, I'm not. I'm not messing about in this swamp. I'm backing away because it's not worth the hassle.
0: I'm just going to throw some fuel on the fire. Would you rather look at the Mona Lisa in person, its actual size, (laughs) or would you like to look at it on your phone? (laughs) Dot, 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 hashtag rest my case.
1: You can still appreciate the Mona Lisa on a postcard. You can still appreciate the art form through an internet page. But if you see it hung on that wall, in its real majesty, you can appreciate it more. Yeah, there you go. That's our stance on the film file. If you disagree with us, don't bother emailing. Yeah, Let's move on with some I, other I, news. I
0: certainly won't be the one reading it.
1: Oh, it'll, it'll be me. It, yeah. it, it,
0: what was that? What was that like great line? To get flooded. If, if, uh, if a tree falls in a forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? <laughs> I, I fall into that territory.
1: Well, uh, I've just opened the floodgates for everyone to email in and give me loads of abuse, but hey, you know what? I will happily ignore you <laughs> anyway, let's move on with some other news. There's still nerves with regards releases, and this past week has seen venom two shift three weeks later to October the fifteenth from it It was originally a back end of September release, and it's a delay that slaps it right into the already packed October month because we've spoken before about how October is basically week after week, drop, 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 drop. Ooh,
0: something's got to give.
1: Venom is now on the same week that the Halloween sequel drops on. And both are kind of like the 15 rated. One's a comic-y horror kind of approach. One's the slasher horror kind of approach. But it seems like they'll be competing for the same kind of audiences to some degree. So... Something's going to buckle. And if anything buckles in October, it's going to have a knock-on effect right the way through until December. Now, the move of Venom is because of the surge of the Delta variant in the US, causing uncertainty as to what the markets. But how much difference is three weeks going to make? Interesting point, actually, Andy. I mean, thinking about it, uh, I mean,
0: none of us have got a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to be happening then. We're all on hooks at the moment wondering what's going to be rescheduled what the world is going to look like in uh the next couple of months i mean there's a lot of huge factors they're going back to schools they're going back to universities uh, more opening up and of course the delta variant um, is kind of running a little bit wild in the u.s at the moment all of them are going to have some effect on box office um, I, 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 I would hate to be in the game of, of, of scheduling right now because everything feels, nothing wants to come out as a, as a flop. Um, we've just had that with Suicide Squad, sadly. Yeah. Um, but, and I still don't think it's down to, to the film or just the marketing. I think COVID plays a huge, huge part in all this. And I think, as, as we've said many, many times, we've got to rethink how we, at the moment, are, are thinking about box office. And we, we just talked about that. So, you know, let's have a let's have a think about, you know, what the world's going to be like. I, as I said, it must be a nightmare to schedule at this moment in time because you've got to get your product out there. People want content, but it's, it's, a, it's a very heavy market with the ability to, to spin on a dime right now and have to change everything.
1: On the back of Venom shifting, the speculation abounding that Bond is going to move. MGM reportedly aren't going on sale with tickets until two weeks before the film releases, which shows a lack of confidence on the release date. And with the, as we already said last week, it needs 900 million needed to break even. And the situation over in the States is not very good with the Delta variant running rampant. Industry insiders are ready for a move. Speculation says possibly early December for a good festive season leading. If it does, expect some shuffling around of other films, whether this is shuffling because they're they're nervous because if Bond's moved, maybe we shouldn't open, or whether it's shuffling to fill the gap that Bond leaves because there's a lot of emptiness around September to early October because no one wants to go up against Bond. So if it does move, it will open that slot for something that might have underperformed at a different time
0: it it's a house of cards isn't it and and you think about it when it comes to things like like tracking it's so hard to 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 understand what the figures are going to be uh, i mean we were a little bit a little bit more optimistic a few weeks ago but it seems now we we are echoing stories from last year
1: yeah it's not helped the fact that there's been split releases on a lot of the recent films which As much as people want to try to deny that split releases are having an impact on the box office, they clearly are because films that weren't split releases like Fast 9, Quiet Place 2, and even this week's Free Guy, which performed well over the weekend, those films have done well because there's no backup option of streaming and there's no perfect copies for those people who are just going to illegally pirate it. Because yes, we know that some people are watching them for free via dodgy streams because there's perfect copies of it because of the streaming. Uh, However, Shang-Chi is staying the course. CEO Bob Chapek from Disney confirmed that it will be a cinema exclusive. There's no premium on plus for this one. Using the words interesting experiment, referring to the chance to compare how it performs without the premium option on, on the sideline. Here's the thing. If you want to know how a film will perform without a streaming option, there's already experiments being done out there. Look at Fast 9. Look at A Quiet Place too, and look at Free Guy. They are the experiments and they are paying off well. The film star Simu Liu responded, We are not an interesting experiment. We are the underdog, the underestimated. We are the ceiling breakers. We are the celebration of culture and joy that will persevere after embattled year. We are the surprise. I'm fired the F up to make history on September the 3rd join us. Yes, because the film will open on September the 3rd and tickets should be on sale at this point in time. Uh, The film will be a 45-day theatrical exclusive before it goes to streaming, which seems to be coming the norm. Paramount have said that their films are going to be 45 days before going on Paramount+. Plus. Every distributor seems to be going for this 45-day exclusive.
0: Now, I've had from one of my industry insiders that tracking on Shang-Chi is Difficult to conclude. It could go either way at this stage. And what Marvel are hoping for, certainly what Disney are hoping for, is they will pull in a brand new audience with Asian Americans flocking to see the movie. And that they've not taken into account yet. But it is it is pretty borderline right now. It's it's not looking like a runaway success. Uh, and it could go, go either way. But as I said, it, it's a nightmare to be able to predict right now because... If there's there's a um, an upswing in in COVID again, then all those are going to be going to be knocked for six. But fingers crossed. Um, it looks like a great movie. You said the trailer looks phenomenal. They've started to put out some TV spots, which are just making it a, a stronger sell. I've said before, it's not my Shang Chi, and I had this discussion just yesterday with a, an old Marvel buddy of mine, and he's he's not looking forward to it, but. He, didn't, he grew up in the 70s and, and hasn't got into sort of the new reiteration of the character. But it's such a, a, a CD level character that um, they can start from scratch and, and promote them in a very, very different way. doesn't take away what we've enjoyed reading in the past.
1: I'm excited for it. I get the reservations with it not being the traditional Shang-Chi. It's the more modernised version. But I think we've come to expect that the MCU is going to be adapting the more modernised interpretations of characters. And we accept them for who they are. In other Marvel news, The Marvels has started production. Brie Larson has confirmed this news this past week, that the follow-up to Captain Marvel, which is helmed by Nia DaCosta, whose Candyman is another film that I'm just so waiting for. Yeah,
0: yeah. Great director to get on board.
1: Well, this new film will see Captain Marvel team up with Monica Rambeau, who we saw in Division and saw develop her powers in Division, and Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Miss Marvel, who will have her own show coming along pretty soon. Regarding the scale of the film, Brie Larson has spoken. It's unlike anything else. Huge sets, huge amounts of people on set, lots of specialists. It's a really unique experience. I'm a huge fan of Disneyland. So to me, it feels like I get to go to my own private Disneyland every single day because they're building all of these insane worlds that no one else knows about, no one gets to see. You'll see it when the movie comes out, but for now, it's just mine. I'm in sets that are bigger than you can imagine right now. It's really special. She's, she's genuinely enthusiastic about this, and this is what I love. Uh, Brie Larson got a lot of kickback from some of the nerdy communities out there when Captain Marvel came out. Yeah, we can't call them fans. No, they're, they're just uh, basement dwellers. And I think that she's marvellous because she's clearly passionate about the character that she's playing. She comes across as very geeky herself. She does many geeky like Twitch and TikToks and things like that. And she is genuinely an utter joy to behold with her enthusiasm around the industry. And I'm happy for her to be involved with it if she's getting joy from it, because that means that she's not just doing it for the money. She's doing it for the love. So I'm, I'm excited yeah. again. I, I have my reservations about them, how they handled the character of Captain Marvel. But I always look forward to the second proper outing. And I know she popped up in the Infinity War and Endgame. But you know what? That wasn't her own film. This is a chance for her to grow. And plus, it's got Kamala Khan. And I love Kamala Khan.
0: The, the problems with Captain Marvel certainly weren't Brie Larson.
1: No. It was the... Uh, Well, my biggest problem is the undefined powers. It's a deus ex machina character. And I think that hopefully with the second film, they'll manage to, you know, give us some consistency. Uh, The film is one of a handful of projects which are currently in production for the MCU. Uh, currently filming is She-Hulk, Moon Knight, Wakanda Forever, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. And that doesn't even include all of those that have already wrapped shooting and are in post-production and effects shots at the moment. The Marvel machine rolls on and the Marvels is due next November.
0: Uh, just going back to something you said, Moon Knight, did you see the unofficial release of the pictures of Moon Knight in full costume?
1: I did, yes. And um, I'm liking, me likey. Yeah,
0: yeah, it goes back to sort of the David Finch... Approach on it, and and when they called it Fist of Koshnu, uh, so yeah, intrigued by that. It looks like Marvel aren't afraid this time to to go with with a costume.
1: Yeah, they're, they've kind of like embraced that aspect. I mean, the Loki series showed that they can have fun with actual costumes looking more like comic book costumes, and now the leaning quite heavily into that particularly for their tv series
0: you know i've got a bit of news what have you got for us did you know that there is a lord of the rings series currently in production in
1: new zealand did i know that there's a lord of the rings series in production <laughs> who do you think you're talking to oh so you did that <laughs> well uh you know they're
0: shooting in uh, new zealand right now apparently season two is to start shooting in the uk they're moving their base of operations out of uh, a land down under and bringing it um rings are coming home i think is the song
1: yeah i mean it's it's quite interesting because it, it's you've always since peter jackson made his films you've always thought of new zealand as being middle earth but the important thing is that this series looks like it's going to take place in the undying lands which isn't middle earth and so it allows it's them, bristol i believe yeah it, <laughs> yeah orcs coming out of bradford but it allows them a chance to give a different kind of impression for the world because it's not no longer the same locations that were used in Peter Jackson's trilogy it's whole new locations so I'm interested to see what part of our humble island shores will be used but very excited for this and the first bit of art that got released for it a couple of weeks ago just had me so excited oh well in for it. What else do we have? So it looks like Emma Stone isn't going to be joining Scarlett Johansson in taking on Disney uh, over contract issues.
0: Or maybe she is, and this is the uh, this is the solution.
1: Well, yes, because uh, she's just signed a deal for Cruella 2, which it's possible that her saying that she was going to join, like she was contemplating taking action as well, has given her a stronger footing to sign a deal that has been called beneficial to both parties. Yes, It's likely that she's going to get a very fair take, that all the potential problems have been ironed out for this second one. And whereas Scarlett Johansson hasn't had this offer, that's because her character's dead. Her character has left the MCU now, so she had no grounds to be able to renegotiate a contract. She has to fight for the contract issues on the original one. Emma Stone has utilised it in order to get a fairer deal going forwards. Um, Cruella 2 has now been officially greenlit. And original director Craig Gillespie... And writer Tony McNamara are both returning to flesh out where the story goes from here. It's quite clear that they can't just go into 101 Dalmatians because that version of Cruella Deville is not this version of Cruella Deville. It wouldn't yeah. make any sense. I'm a bit intrigued as to where they're going to go. I'm wondering whether they're going to do it the first film was basically a greatest hits of music of the 1970s are they going to move into the 80s and just fill it with like 400 tracks from the 80s and make a huge pop video again (laughs) I don't know but you know what it was a fun ride and I'm willing to take that ride again Okay. Um, now the Spawn film
0: which has been on and off for years
1: well pretty much since the first Spawn film came out in the mid 90s Uh, Todd McFarlane has constantly spoken about his new direction for the film franchise and how he's wrote a script and how it's been like how he's developing it and a few years ago Jamie Foxx was landed uh, in the lead role as Al or Spawn and Jeremy Renner was signed up for playing Detective Twitch but so much time has passed since then it's uncertain if either of them are on board however last time that we reported we said that Blumhouse had picked up the option for it and now Broken City writer Brian Tucker has been hired to pen the script for the very long in development hell film The original script has already been written by Todd McFarlane, but obviously it needs a polish because, Todd, you can write comic books, but please don't try to do screenwriting. It doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For those who don't know what the material is, the comic follows Black Ops agent who's been betrayed and killed and then bargains with a devil to return to Earth, only to be duped by that devil and thrown forward in time by five years when his wife has moved on with another life. Now an agent of hell, he battles with various hell and heaven-spawned creations whilst internally battling for his soul once his power has been expended. The current deal has it that once he uses up all his power, he returns to hell to lead the armies in an ultimate war. But everyone wants a bit of his soul because there's still good within Al Simmons.
0: You know what, Andy? I read Spawn when it first came out. I had no idea what it was about. I think you've just (laughs) thrown over to me the most succinct interpretation of what that series is, it confused the hell out of me. I mean, it was beautifully drawn, uh, initially, by Todd McFarlane, but I, I could never get a handle on what it was actually about. And, and the film did no favours as well to, to be able to tell me what, the, what it was about. Uh, in fact, when I went to see the film, it gave me a headache. It was yes. just so busy.
1: It's, it's a messy film. I mean, I, I remember watching the film when it came out, and I kind of enjoyed it just as a fan of Spawn. But when I rewatched it on home release, I realised how bad that film actually was. Oh, it
0: gave me an eyes hurt.
1: Uh, there's really good potential for the story. There's really good potential for an adaptation. There's already been an animated series that HBO delivered that was absolutely spot on yeah, in the back that. end of the 90s. A film version, and given the way that the story's evolved over the years, because it's a, it's a comic book that has never stuck to just the one kind of basis, and it's gone in different directions, and it's, it's evolved over time beautifully. There's so much that can be done with it. And with Blumhouse behind the scenes, right. um, I'm, I'm interested. On this, another subject of horror-esque, David Bruckner, uh, who gave us The Nighthouse, is in the director's chair for the reboot of the Hellraiser franchise. Oh, and the plan is for it to be a small reimagining which sticks closely to Barker's original material, but with slightly updated approach. In Bruckner's words... We can't say anything about it yet but it's something that we're actively working towards and it's a joy and a dream for a filmmaker like myself to dive into that world. All I'll say is we're aiming to be as true as we can to the original material. The Hellbound Heart is a primary source of inspiration as well as the original film. But then it is something of a small reimagining. Important to note that this is a separate project to HBO's Planned TV series take from David Gordon Green which Barker himself is going to produce. Barker himself as of yet, has no involvement in this film. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing remains to be seen. But after so many years in the wilderness, it looks like Hellraiser is now going to be multiple franchises. Not sure how I feel.
0: I'm I'm interested in in their approach. I mean, there's a lot of scope with Hellraiser, isn't there? I mean, it was was a series of films that quickly went downhill. I don't have a lot of love for Hellraiser. I like the idea. Um, I thought the film was muddy. Uh, I don't think Clive Barker at that point in his career could actually direct. Um, I think he did better with Nightbreed. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm interested because I think anywhere that they can go can be better than, than what they've done previously.
1: Nightbreed. There's, there's something, a story that could do with a new adaptation because that film, i love the film, but it's such a condensed version of that book that, You could get a full Nightbreed TV series and still not cover everything.
0: I think it would make a better TV series.
1: Yeah, it's been touted at some point, but it's never gone anywhere. Did you ever see
0: The Director's Cut?
1: I've not, no. I've heard good things about it, though.
0: Yeah, I've only seen clips from it, and uh, I liked it, but I think The Director's Cut would be something I'd like to spend some time
1: with. Maybe we should track it down, and we'll cover it on a later episode. Who knows? In completely unsurprising news, Jason Schwartzman has been cast in Wes Anderson's next film. Because of course he has.
0: Um, (laughs) No surprises there. We're just waiting for that to happen.
1: It's not a Wes Anderson film unless Schwarzman and Murray are both on board. Uh, Rupert Friend has also been cast and reports say the process has a long way to go yet as the full cast is expected to be the largest that Anderson has (laughs) put together to date. Indeed, just as we're putting this show together... News has just come in that Scarlett Johansson is also cast in there. This is the second time that she's worked with the director. She voiced one of the characters in Isle of Dogs. These three latest castings join Margot Robbie, Tom Hanks, Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton and Adrian Brody, who are already on board for the film that we still don't know anything about. We don't know what the story is. We just know it's going to be shot in Spain and I don't care. It's still going to be my film of the year when it comes out regardless.
0: (laughs) As The film of the year, clearly then, is going to be the next Wes Anderson film.
1: Of course. The French Dispatch is already my film of the year, even though I've not seen it. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hope it doesn't disappoint. For your sake. And that is the news. Thanks for joining us here on The Film File. It's always our pleasure to present this show. And if you haven't already subscribed to The Film File podcast, then please do head over to your favourite podcast platform hit the subscribe button hit the like button because andy and i's partners and wives both need new shoes and it's your responsibility to help them by hitting that like button
1: i'm not sure she needs any more shoes (laughs) i'm I'm genuinely not sure no more shoes in this house really (laughs) i need a new house of all the the gags i could have gone for (laughs) shoes
0: shoes is not the one that i needed to bring up but i digress if you want to know more about the film file and us behind the machinery that is the mighty film file then you can head over to
1: twitter where you can follow us at film file uk you can head over to instagram see pictures and also tastes of what my initial thoughts are on films when i post out and the stories film file uk or you can email us with any thoughts suggestions queries podcast at film
0: UK. you'll be surprised at how big an empire the Film File Factory is, or maybe not. (laughs) Still to come up, we've got a deep dive on Logan's Run. We are talking about What If and as well as our film reviews for the week. But let's start with our deep dive. This film came out in 1976, pre-Star Wars, but to some extent launched the interest in science fiction in the cinema again. Logan's Run, directed by Michael Anderson, starring Michael York, Jenny Agatha, Richard Jordan, Roscoe Lee Brown, Peter Ustinov, and a very young Farrah Fawcett, based on the novel by William F. Nolan and George Clayton Johnson, depicting a utopian society on the surface that reveals a dystopian culture where the population and the consumption of resources are maintained in equilibrium by killing everyone who reaches the age of 30. The movie follows the actions of Logan Five, a Sandman, Who's terminated others and who attempts to escape death and is now faced with termination himself. Imagine a world where you can have the fulfillment of every fantasy, the absolute attainment of every wish. MGM presents the first motion picture of the 23rd century, Logan's Run, a journey through a fantastic world beyond imagination. Imagine a world in which you need never be alone. You touch a switch, turn a dial, and the perfect lover steps into your arms. Welcome to the 23rd century. The perfect world of total pleasure.
1: There's just one catch. No!
0: Logan! I'm your friend, I understand. We all go crazy once in a while. But she's a runner, and it's over. Fine, fine, oh Logan's Run, rated PG. So, the first thing to point out that Logan's Run the Novel is one of my all-time favourite science fiction novels. It reads almost like a screenplay, mainly because authors William F. Nolan and George Clayton Johnson, as well as being established science fiction writers, also worked in film and TV. George Clayton Johnson scripted the original Ocean's Eleven, and William F. Nolan wrote the screenplays for many horror uh, movies and tv movies so the book actually reads like a a, a screenplay it's very fast it's very zingy uh, and, and doesn't stop the book itself is almost a run but the main change that happens in the book uh, and was changed dramatically for the film is the raising of the age of last day the last day you get to live from 21 to 30. Uh, And the film introduced the idea of carousel for eliminating 30 years old as a way of sort of hoping that you would you could be reincarnated and and live again. But the basic premise, the idea of a Sandman uh, on the run didn't change. I have some love for Logan's run, the movie, and it's always hard when you've got a, a, a book that you love to see it dramatized on the film. There were a lot of the changes which I, I went with, and including the iconic look of the Sandman, which still exists, and I think if they ever do get round to doing that, that reboot, that look will, will stay with it. But it, it lacks deeply. Some of the bigger themes and bigger ideas and some of the bigger action sequences that are written in the book didn't make it into the film. And I also think it's, it's a little bit miscast by uh, Michael York, who just doesn't have that edge that I always saw in the character of Logan. But when it came out, I, um, I absolutely loved it. I would, anything that was science fiction that happened to be in the cinema pre-Star Wars, you would just um, inhale because it was, it was so rare compared to today. So uh, it's a film that I like. It's not a film that I love, but it is based upon a book that I absolutely, absolutely adore. Andy, Logan's Run for you.
1: Now, I've never read the book of Logan's Run, so my approach to this was purely from the film perspective. And my first glimpse of this film was through probably a BBC Two sci-fi season of films when I was a wee little lad. Uh, Because BBC Two used to do like six sci-fi films over a series of weeks. They were the go-to channel to see these classic sci-fis brought to the screen. And... You know, lots of things captured my attention. The dome cities, the, the perfect utopia, but then the outside-the-city devastation of a post-apocalyptic world. The colourful clothes within the domes, the the whole the, the visual style, the sandmen, the action, the adventure, it all enticed me, but not as much as the delightful Jenny Agutter, who I developed a very, very early crush on through this film, and one which I still have to this very you day. You know what? Two, she was
0: my first crush. She was in something called the Snow Goose, and I remember it so clearly. Then, of course, the railway children walk about and this. I absolutely fell in love with Jenny Agatha. And even when she appeared in uh, uh, in Captain America, yeah, um, Winter Soldier, she she's still there. I know she's in called the midwife, but oh I, I loved Jenny Agatha. She was uh, uh, she was just someone I've I've always always been in love with, and, and she's she not that she's not fabulous in this, she just doesn't have an awful lot to do.
1: Over the years, through re and Rewatchers, I've moved away from just loving this film for the general look and the style. And I started to grow an understanding of the deeper themes of the story. Like I said, I've never read the book, so I don't know how accurate it is to the book. But for me, it's interesting how progressive this film actually was. The dystopian and utopian aspects balance out well, but it uses them to casually reference societal issues that still reflect on today's society. And also, like, preferences, sexual preferences, and also racism is kind of looked at in a way that it's not an issue in this future society. In this perfect society, where sex is no longer for procreation, sexual preferences are nothing to be frowned at. There's a throwaway line where he asks uh, Jenny Agutas' character, is she a lesbian? But it's not done in a condescending way. It's done in a, like, just casual, oh, are you a lesbian? Oh, maybe. Because everyone, everyone accepts everyone. And to all intents and purposes, everyone in this society is living in harmony with each other, but that's because of the darker reasons why this society exists. The film's exploration of individualism and freedom to choose, very revolutionary aspect, forming the core of the as Logan hunts and pursues the runners, only to realise the system that they are booking against is unfair as he becomes a runner himself. It's a great film. From start to finish, as a child, I was enticed and I loved the journey of Logan uh, as he basically escapes but then has to go back in to free everyone else but over time it's grown more and more in me and this is a film that I love to go back to I look forward to going back to and when we said that we were going to be covering it this week I was excited because I get a chance to relive one of my childhood favorites that actually for me it stands up today
0: yeah I mean the, the elements that you talk about those themes you know the the idea of human overpopulation the dangers of hedonism because all the characters live in this sort of hedonistic society where they don't have to think really. So they are uh, continuously living in, in youth culture. Uh, The dangers of government sponsored euthanasia, for instance, Um, the ideas that, uh, that you pointed out, sexual abandonment is, is, uh, um, is kind of that free will. The book came out of the sixties. The the book came out of the youth uprisings in, in, in the late sixties and the idea that the governments would have to, eventually put a stop to that and also the threat of, of overpopulation and, and those elements stayed with it now the film had gone through many many uh, different iterations before the, the version that we'd seen with George Powell you know best known for uh, of course Doc Savage you can't go talk about George Powell without talking about Doc Savage he was going to do a version of it that stayed a lot closer to the initial film uh, and was almost seen as going to be a, a rival to Planet of the Apes there were so many other other scripts and other iterations let alone the a final cut of the film which was a lot more gritty had a lot more uh, of the issues uh, the the sort of drug issues that, that that are in the book and a lot more dealing with the age issues that that got dropped from the from the final print there unfortunately will never be a director's cut but apparently there is a, a there was a cut of this film which was a lot stronger and said an awful lot more but yes i like it it's it, it will never live up to the idea of what logan's run logan's run could be um, there was a um, a tv series spin off and there's been multiple talks of a reboot for the last several years Remembering that the film actually did very well at the box office and I think it, it pulled away with over 20 million in the, in the US. So it was considered to be a success, if not an, an all-time classic. But I think we could go back to Logan's run and, and do the book justice and, and bring it up to date. And actually, you know, nobody would have th- thought that you could cast 21-year-old year actors uh, because there were no big stars. Everybody was slightly older. I think Michael York was 32 at the time. So there, there is a way of doing Logan's Run where we can really talk about modern youth culture and what that means and do a, an entirely different look on, on Logan's Run. I have read a, a couple of scripts, a, a great one by Christopher, Christopher McQuarrie. Which was a shame that never got got made. There's lots of directors being attached to it, but we're still waiting for that for that
1: reboot. Yeah, it, it is a film that I mean, every time that it's been mentioned for a reboot, you get some people who are so in love with the original version that like, oh no, you don't need to. You need just let people appreciate the original one, but they're missing the point that I've personally found that this is a difficult film to introduce to a new audience today. The visual style is very dated, even though it's a future society. It looks very 70s and it makes it understandably hard for a modern eye to engage with it. The only times that I've managed to successfully get people to watch this is by doing really bad Michael York impressions um, at work (laughs) and just going, you don't have to die. You can live, live. And then going, what on earth are you on about? (laughs) And then me pointing them in the direction of clips from the film so that they can see my impressions. And then they go, what's that film? Right, get it watched. But generally, it, it is a tricky film to introduce to a modern audience. It is a very old looking film. I still have a love for it because I grew with it. And as I grew with it, the visuals became less important than what the themes were behind it. A remake could really, really benefit this because it can keep the core material. It can keep It it can reference the book more, like you say, but it can draw parallels on the society that we live in today, which is what all good sci-fi does. It draws parallels and casts an eye on society around you. Uh, The short-lived TV series that you mentioned, uh, I I did revisit that a few years ago, and it's not good. Uh, It tried to adopt a fugitive formula to a sci-fi setting with encounter of the week style approaches, and thankfully it only lasted one season. Uh, it lost the whole essence of what Logan's Run was, and the closest interpretation of a modern day Logan's Run aesthetic goes to Michael Bay's The Island.
0: Yes, now there's been a lot of comparisons to to what Logan's Run. How much was borrowed for the island? Uh, and apparently, the island was borrowed from a lot of sources. <laughs> but yes, it is it is closest to that. And um, you know, you could have seen both those actors make a, a, a good Logan and Jessica. You know, even till 2018, Alex Garland was working on a script. Now, perhaps at this point, Alex Garland would make a a great director for it, as he's now got, got more films and TV series under his belt. But I still have a lot of love for it. There was so much missing in the movie that can be done quite easily now. The idea of, for instance, there was a whole bit about Crazy Horse Mountain. There were characters called Sky Gypsies. There was, there was so many different elements. And, and to, be, to be very brave and take it down to, to 21, it would say something very different about the society that we live in. But it's still worth seeing. It is a classic movie. It's a classic movie of its time with some themes that would still resonate today. Andy, where can we find Logan's Run if we want to watch it?
1: So it's not available to stream on any of the services at this point in time. However, you can rent it from the little prices of £3.40 or you could, you can just do yourself a favor and buy yourself a physical copy or buy the actual HD streaming version and rewatch to your pleasure
0: and also if you get chance have a go at reading the book uh, as a comparison piece to seeing the movie so andy's been to the cinema had a chance to see some new releases i've got one to talk about andy what have you seen what do you want to review for us this week
1: so the big film this week and uh, we spoke about it in the news is free guy guy played by Ryan Reynolds, is a blue-shirted NPC, non-player character for those who aren't savvy on gamer terms, in an open-world MMO, massively multiplayer online game, for, again, those who aren't savvy with the gaming terms. There might be a lot of this when you're watching the film, just let it wash over you. Anyway, Guy goes about his daily routine as a blue-shirted NPC without any realisation that he isn't actually real. His life between waking, pleasantly exchanging words with friends and neighbours, and working in a bank is a simple one. And even the car chasers, bank robberies, exploding helicopters and other such mayhem caused by the sunglasses people, people who wear sunglasses in the game, does little to faze him. However, all that is about to change as he wakes one morning pondering whether he can be something more. And when the girl of his dreams brushes past him in the streets... It sets him off on a quest to break his routine and become free.
0: This character in the video game Free
1: City has been turning heads by being the good guy. We love you, blue shirt guy! Watch out for the. They seem nice. Blue shirt guy is the first real artificial intelligence. Too high! Too high! His whole world's about to end. Don't you think he'd want a chance to save it? We have to fight for it. We have to fight together. That actually hurt my hand. Free Guy. Now, this film plays well into video game conventions. It's stacked with nods, references, Easter eggs, and fans of gaming will relish and delight in every small detail going on in the background. However, it's important to say that it's not going to alienate those who aren't as immersed in gaming, as generally on the surface, it's a vibrant, thrilling, and extremely funny action fest at the same time. Whilst the quick glimpse of someone squatting and standing repeatedly over a taken-out NPC may fly over the heads of some non-gamers, it isn't essential to get all the jokes because the rest of the film is a simple tale of someone trapped in a false world who realises something is wrong and strives to break free of the routine. So, it's The Truman Show with (laughs) video games, yeah? Anyway, Ryan Reynolds delivers his usual charm and shtick. And it's safe to say that if you are at this point tired of his routine, then this film will do naught to change your mind. If Ryan Reynolds is not your thing, this film is clearly not going to be your thing. However, if Ryan Reynolds being full on Ryan Reynolds rocks your boat, and boy, he rocks my boat, then prepare to be smiling throughout. I was smiling constantly. By the end of this film, I was grinning like a loon and there were moments in the film where I real belly laughed out loud. It's rare that I laugh out loud in a cinema. I don't know why, I very rarely do it, despite, I I tend to chuckle more than anything else, but this, I was proper laugh out loud. The rest of the cast around Reynolds, a variety of familiar faces, all work well. Jodie Comer in the double role of Molotov Girl slash Millie, Millie being her real world persona and the inner world one being the heroic Molotov Girl shines in both confidence aspects in-game and nervousness outside of the game. Joe Carey, who most people will recognize from Stranger Things, but those who've been keeping an eye on him in other things will also recognize him from last year's Spree, which was an absolute treat. I bigged it up on this show. If you've not watched it yet, get it checked out. Anyway, he steps up once more as game coder Walter McKees, an employee of the game developers who he believes his code was stolen to use in the game. What joy in the film comes from Taika Waititi, who plays the part of Antoine, the owner of the development company Tsunami. Flamboyant dress style mashed together with eccentric mannerisms and scenery-chewing frenzy make him an absolute joy to watch. Waititi plays bad, so good. Underneath all the visuals, the explosions, the manic video game-inspired fun, is an actual solid tale with a firm beating heart. And the likeable charm of all involved makes it a warming joy to watch. Throw in a myriad of cameos from Twitch streamers for all the gamers out there. A bunch of can-you-place-them voice cameos from some big-name stars. I won't spoil who they are. If you look online, you'll find out, but try not to, because they're a great joy to try to decipher. And possibly the best quick cameo in recent years. I mean, this is a better cameo than the hilariously impacting moment when Brad Pitt briefly popped up in Deadpool 2. And if you've not seen Deadpool 2 and don't know that, Get watching Deadpool 2 and get ready for a great joy. This film has a better cameo than that. There's so much going on around this film that repeated viewings will be definitely on the cards for sure. Free Guy is showing at the cinemas right now. Get yourself down there. Get it watched because it looks delightful on a giant screen.
0: I missed it and I'm disappointed that I, that I missed going to see it with you. Would I Would I have enjoyed it? Was, was it worth my, my time?
1: I think if you've got some love for gaming and you even if you don't play the games that it's kind of referencing there's lots of elements of like Fortnite in there but if you're aware of the fascination with them and the kind of like in-game sales gimmicks that it does you will you will recognize a lot of things i think it's a fun action adventure film it's well directed i i never got tired of the shtick and by the end of it i I left the screen big beaming smile on my face and happy that I got a chance to see it on the big screen.
0: What else do you have?
1: Now, Boss Level landed on Amazon this over this past week, and Boss Level sees Frank Grillo play a former Special Forces agent named Roy Pulver, who's trapped in a time loop which sees him killed by assassins every day. It's an action take on Groundhog Day concepts. Hey, Jake. Can I get a large bottle of that baiju? You know what? Make it too large, bottles. How can you drink like that? I used to complain that every day felt the same. And now every day is the same. Hey, Jay. I have died 144 times. And every day ends like this. But it doesn't matter. Not when you've lost everything you've loved. Renter. Man who's had me killed 150 times. The power to rewrite history is mine. At the point at which we enter the film... Roy has memorised most of the moments that play out, but he still doesn't know exactly why this gang are after him, and he can't seem to get past 12.47 in that one day without the whole gang managing to catch him and kill him and set him back to the start of the day again. But bit by bit, he starts to piece together a puzzle, which gives him the upper hand in trying to escape the loop and find the person responsible for his predicament. First up, I need to stress a negative on this. As the film started, and just to be clear, I wasn't expecting much from this film. It was one of them that popped up on Amazon and I thought, I'll give it a shot. Let's see. It looks like it could be okay. And as it started, we got a voiceover. And voiceovers can work, but this voiceover quickly began to irritate me. It felt, even early on, akin to that voiceover from Blade Runner, on its initial release that was unnecessary and was simply there, as I've said before, to explain things for the dumb kids at the back of the class who aren't paying attention. And indeed, throughout the film, there were plenty of times when it isn't required, as it simply tells us something that we can actually see with our eyes there in front of us. We don't need it repeating in a voiceover. However, at times the inner monologue aspect of it kind of grew on me. And sometimes it had little wise cracks and little witticisms. Is that a word? It is now. And I started to go along with it. Now, that was made easy by the fact that aside from that voiceover, the rest of the film was so much fun. The story is simple, but well paced. The visuals are great. There are some ropey effects and some cheap explosions that make you go, oh, I'm not sure. But you can look past it quickly as the rest of it is vibrantly fun. Joe Carnahan who gave us films such as NARC, The A-Team, and Smoking Aces, knows how to present fun action. And as a fan of those past films, and let's ignore bad boys for life just now, yeah, I found the same level of vibrant energy brought to the screen. And the witty approach to Roy's predicament and the violence that ensues made the time loop adventure stand out. There's some comical reactions from support characters when Roy's plans go wrong, which resulted in full-on belly laugh moments as I was sat at home it is important to realise that only Roy knows that he's in a time loop. So other people reacting to him work so perfectly as they are perplexed by what he is actually up to. Mel Gibson chews cigars more than scenery in a villainous role, but he definitely conveys some subdued menace. And Naomi Watts, as Roy's estranged wife, holds the key to his plight and plays it pretty well. Nothing spectacular, but enough there to make you care about the plight that's going on. Boss Level is a fun blast of time travel action adventure. It might not have a huge amount of heart, but it certainly delivers with spectacle and fun and is well worth popping onto Amazon and popping this on your TV tonight.
0: Again, intrigued by this one. Uh, I read about it during its release in the US and thought this is right up my alley. The only thing that sort of put me off of it was that it looked a little bit silly.
1: Oh, it's very silly. It is very silly. Okay. Yeah, I'm
0: more interested in it now that you've you've described it. And where can I find that? Sorry, I missed that.
1: That landed on Amazon as an Amazon original this past week. And
0: finally, for you anyway.
1: The Courier. This has been,
0: everywhere I've gone, there's been a promotion for The Courier. I already feel like I've seen it. It's one of those that I've seen that that much uh, marketing on it that I've already feel as though I've watched it.
1: The Courier is based on the true story of Grevel Wynn, a British businessman who at the height of the Cold War in the 60s was recruited to help MI6 and the CIA obtain information from their Soviet source, Oleg Penkovsky, information that revolved around the Cuban Missile Crisis. His role as a courier meant that he would be at low risk, with his real-world role as a businessman making for a genuine reason for him to enter and exit the USSR and converse with contacts inside. However, Greville grew close to Oleg and he started to put himself into deeper and deeper risk when it looked like their covers would be blown. The film is directed by Dominic Cook, who's more known for his direction of stage productions, including the award-winning Follies and Mar Rainey's Black Bottom. And the result is an old-school spy film with a low-key yet extremely engaging approach. Cumberbatch elevates the film with his initially nervy role, which grows in determination and confidence as he becomes more embroiled in the events around him. He's ably supported by all around him, especially the ever-excellent Jesse Buckley as Greville's wife, Sheila. As he continues to go on secret missions, she begins to suspect that he's having an affair and the home life is put on edge. Cumberbatch and Buckley both really delivering in these moments at Him playing a man who really wants to tell her what is really happening but can't, while she is growing more and more uncertain about whether they can stay together. This is a well acted and tense, even if not exactly exciting, spy thriller that is well worth a watch, and it presents an interesting true story that really, really deserves to be told. Can't wait to see him back in Doctor Strange mode. Definitely.
0: So my review is a film that's been on Netflix for the last few weeks and i have been meaning to get around to watching it. Uh, It's uh, a Netflix original And it comes from Netflix Germany Who are doing some interesting stuff at the moment Especially when it comes to genre stuff This is Blood Red Sky Good evening ladies and gentlemen Boys and girls As
1: you can see we have control of the plane Our one demand is strictly monetary If that You're free We want this little operation of ours To go up without a hitch
0: if not, well, use your imaginations. The film starts with the landing of a hijacked plane, and we are then into the territory of discovering what happened. As the only survivor is the pilot, or whoever's piloted the plane, and a young boy, the story then flashes back to the story of a woman with a mysterious illness who is forced into action when a group of terrorists attempt to hijack the transatlantic overnight flight that she's on. Without giving anything away because it's in the marketing, she is a vampire. And so you've got a, a riff on Die Hard, Snakes on a Plane to something now that's Vamps in Transit. Now, I'm, I'm kind of underselling it because it's it's a lot better than a Snakes on the Plane because when it comes to a high concept, This is a high concept. Predominantly German cast apart from Dominic Purcell, but Perry Boemeister as Nadja, the the vampire of the title, is absolutely fantastic as she starts to lose her grip on humanity as she is uh, forced to turn to her vampiric ways to help save the rest of the passengers and, of course, her son. It's, It's nicely done, a little bit overlong, very action packed, but the first hour is where the film absolutely hits all the right notes as the build-up intention, as we start to reveal more of who Niger is and, and the and the essence of her character and how she became a vampire is explored uh, and why she's going to New York to help, hopefully be cured and the fact that she has to she has to become a vampire uh, and, and embrace this dark side of herself to help. Uh, save everybody on the plane and her son. The first part is fantastic. Second part goes absolutely batshit crazy. And I'm using that word in a, in a sentence.
1: <laughs>
0: but for the most part of it, it it's, it's good. It's a very, very high concept vampire story. To be honest, we've never seen anything like it before. It's delivered, it, it's delivered with a, 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 an incredible fast pace and a great enthusiasm for the, for the vampire genre and plays on that overstays its welcome, but for two hours if you want to be entertained and literally at points be on the edge of your seat, forgetting that it sort of loses its thread a little bit in, in the last act, this is a, 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 another indication that German Netflix are turning out some great, great genre pieces and and is a great, satisfying Saturday night in.
1: I mean, we've said before how Netflix seems to be a good home for like genre kind of approaches Uh, but we've not really mentioned how netflix germany norway all the other countries are delivering on the wealth we've very often referred to just the british or american productions but it's there's a wealth of material dropping each week on netflix that there's just not time to watch them all but every now and then we find a gem last week it was the swarm which was a gem that i picked up on this week we've got blood red sky so dig down into the foreign language films that Netflix are getting exclusives on and start exploring the genre even more.
0: Yeah, I mean, not to even mention stuff like The Dark uh, and The Kingdom, uh, the Japanese entry, because they, they do some incredibly visceral and very clever uh, genre pieces that, that are, this isn't subtitled, uh, but, uh, and there's some pretty bad overdubs. The only thing that lets it down, but lets it down for most things in a film with me as a kid. Uh, in peril, uh, and I think the kid is overdubbed, and, and he, he does come across as a little bit Hollywood, yeah. that I don't think the original intention was was to make him sound like that, but well worth seeing One thing that Andy and I have both seen, and we'll be talking about on a regular basis over the next few weeks, is the first episode of What If
1: Who Are You Captain
0: Carter I am the watcher I observe all that transpires here but I do not cannot will not interfere journey to face the unknown and ponder the question So, for fans of the MCU and fans of Marvel comics, What If has been a a joyous addition to our our love of everything cinematic Marvel, and a real throwback to, to the 1970s, 1980s comics. For those who don't know, an omnipotent celestial being known only as the Watcher, voiced by Jeffrey Wright, observes infinite variations of the very familiar Marvel Cinematic Universe stories as they play out across the multiverse. So this ties in, we believe at this stage, into Loki. Each one centred around a different what if. Uh, The question about events that are twisted and characters from previous Marvel movies are taken in a surprising new direction. Episode one opened with Captain Carter. What if Steve Rogers didn't become Captain America? and Agent Carter took the super serum. First thing I've got to point out before we even talk about it is the beautiful animation style oh, yeah. of it. This looks like nothing we've seen on TV. It's almost a throwback to very old hand-painted Disney. It reminded me in, in, uh, in places of, uh, of Snow White and, and that very 1930s, 40s style. Uh, really impressive. What did you think, Andy?
1: Yeah, the animation is absolutely beautiful. It's very, very comic booky as a result and it allows them to do action in a very comic book style but also it's kind of almost real but with like a a painted edge to it absolutely beautiful to watch Uh, the episode itself i'm a huge fan of what if i think i've said this earlier i think we had it as a neat thing on one of the very early shows is that my love of what if because i was delving back into the old comics again I've got all of volume one, all of volume two in physical form. And I've read through most of like the individual what ifs that they've done since. And I've always loved the whole idea of going back and reanalyzing the story. And what the comics did well is it would take a key moment and then it'd play out familiar moments from the actual normal storyline, but from that different viewpoint of what if this had changed. And that's what I was hoping that the series would do. And thankfully, With this, what if Captain Carter became the first Avenger? It does that. There's moments from the first, like Captain America the first Avenger, that are replayed, but with Captain Carter now the lead character, the very British Captain Carter, which gives a whole new edge to the whole thing. I had a blast watching it and I'm looking forward to revisiting it because. It was just so much fun as a one-off individual story. And that's the key thing is like, whereas WandaVision and Loki have been ongoing sagas, these are one-off stories. So each week will be a new story. And whilst there's hints that they will play into the Cormart MCU at some point, they don't necessarily have to. And there's nothing really left hanging at the end. It is a complete story. I loved it absolutely loved it. It
0: was, it was a great half hour, very entertaining an interesting take if you, if you, if you've, if you've, as you've mentioned if you're familiar with the What If series it does take beats from uh, regular comics, the first What If was What If Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four, I remember getting it and loving the initial run on What If there were slightly oversized uh, comics and some of them are now played into, into, uh, into Marvel Comics lore, What If uh, Jane Foster had become Thor My favorite one was what if the Marvel bullpen had got the abilities of the Fantastic Force? So (laughs) Stan Lee becomes a Mr. Fantastic, Jack Kirby became the thing. Uh, They were great. And they, you know, imaginary tales based on imaginary tales. (laughs) That was always the fun thing about it. But I I thought it was really well done. A, a, A very, very dynamic animation style. Great voice cast. I mean, we had Hayley Atwell. Uh, Dominic Cooper come back to play their parts. You also got Samuel L. Jackson uh, coming in. I know not all Marvel actors uh, are coming back. Uh, There was a different Steve Rogers, but to be honest, I didn't notice. I had to double check that it wasn't Chris Evans because it sounded absolutely um, uh, uh, spot on. But you know, there's no point to be disappointed. You know, you've got that uh, uh, the legacy of the movies anyway. If you if we know that. Doubt he's not coming back to do tony stark for instance but i'm interested to see where this goes I, um how i don't know how many's in the run andy i don't know how many we're expecting but so far i am definitely definitely in
1: i'm not sure how many there are but it's basically every wednesday there's a nice treat to watch and i'm, I'm going to enjoy and relish each and every one of them
0: so we'll be back next week to discuss each episode as
1: this as we've
0: done with the other Marvel series and seeing which episode revolves around that one central change that results rippling through the multiverse. And um, after I've seen episode one, count me in for the rest of the series. Andy, what else is on over the next week?
1: So coming up this week, in cinemas this week, there's the action spectacle Snake Eyes, which is a spin-off from the G.I. Joe series of films. I say series, there's only been two films so far. And looks set to deliver the same kind of Simple action, simple fun, family adventure film with guns and explosions. Uh, People Do Nothing Big in Japan is a big screen outing for the BBC satire and looks to be a great bite of entertainment satire for the big screen. Also, there's Sensor and Nighthouse, which land on limited releases. Have a dig around, see if you can find it. And in some cinemas across the UK... Nicholas Cage's more recent outing, Pig, which has been doing really good in the festivals, is getting some very limited showings. So try to track that down and get that checked out. We will be talking about it next week on the show. On streaming this week, it's a little light overall, uh, but the two things that stood out for me is Sweet Girl, Jason Momoa is a devastated husband vowing to bring justice to those responsible for his wife's death whilst protecting the only family he has left, his daughter. And The Loud House, an animated family adventure which sees The Louds head to Scotland for an adventure filled with castles, kilts, bagpipes, haggis and a dragon. They're both on Netflix. Get them checked out. And obviously, over on Disney+, Plus. continue watching What If.
0: That's what's happening in cinemas and streaming. And that's about it for this week's show. But as ever, before we go... Andy and I will tell you about our neat thing. Neat thing, you ask? Yes. Something that we've seen, watched, heard, listened to, enjoyed, anything that has been particularly outstanding is our neat thing. And as ever, Andy goes first with his neat
1: thing. So, of course, my neat thing this week were four episodes in, and this week's Ted Lasso was an absolute treat of an episode.
0: Oh, I'm still in love with Ted Lasso.
1: It's a festive episode, playing in the middle of summer, which seems strange, but because it's a football season that the series runs over, of course, Christmas is halfway through the football season. But it's also exactly what the world needs right now. Ted is away from his own family. He's taken on a secret mission by Rebecca, whilst the Higginses open their doors each year to footballers who are away from their families due to being in a foreign country. But the true heart of this episode and a character that this season has become my absolute favorite character of all time is Roy Kent. Roy Kent. <laughs> the
0: very sweary. The Roy very
1: Kent. sweary, very aggressive edged. But actually, we're starting to see more and more this year of how much of a heart he's genuinely got. And as he, him alongside Keeley, are uh, taking his niece Phoebe around to try to get her bad breath sorted out on this episode, it forms an utter heartful joy to the whole proceedings, sprinkled, as you'd expect, with seasonal and festive cheer. And it it plays into all those emotions that you normally get in mid-December that I usually sneer at, and I'm always like, oh, saccharine nonsense. But bizarrely, in the middle of summer, I'm more open to it. I loved celebrating Christmas this week with Ted Lasso, and I particularly loved Roy Kent showing how much of a genuinely well-written and hilarious character he actually is. This is such a great season.
0: I mean, you got me into Ted Lasso. And, and Both me and my partner, we absolutely love it. And to say neither of us are interested in football, she's actually got more interest in football than I have. <laughs> we, we both embrace Ted Lasso. And funny enough, um, on Sunday, I, I was doing something on uh, Birmingham Radio where uh, I was asked to talk about what would be my ideal Sunday film and to recommend some TV series. And I always, always, never get asked that recommend Ted Lasso because so many people haven't seen it. And, and I just think it's such a joy of, of a series. It's about, it's about finding the positive, no matter what Ted does, he's, he's positive, no matter how hard life gets him down and, and, and the episode takes him down a dark path. It's that optimism that shines through. It's such a, it's such a joy of a series. Absolutely love it. It's a great one. Thanks for recommending it, Andy. Okay, my neat thing is, as other than, than film, my other love is music. and Other love is comics. And other love is... Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to focus on just the music one right now. A bit like film, I love, I love those little stories that, that music, musicians tell about the origin of a guitar riff or the origin of, of how a song came together. Ryan Roxy is a guitarist for Alice Cooper. And as you know, I, I play in a Alice Cooper tribute band. And I was just interested. He's, he's been with Alice Cooper now for nearly 20 years. And he has a podcast called um, In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy, where he talks to other musicians, other guitarists, for instance, mainly guitarists. And um, and every now and then in each episode, sometimes it can be a bit techie, but a lot of the time there's a, there's a nugget of a story about how a particular song came together, or working with such an artist, and I love that kind of insight um, because a lot of a lot of the musicians that you see who, who back up big artists are guns for hire, which basically means they are uh, they only work on those gigs and get paid for those gigs. They don't they're not the stars of the show. So you, you get that kind of an insight of it, and then you'll get talking to somebody. In fact, he talks to a, to a friend of mine in one episode. Um, there was an episode that I, I started this, this particular podcast with, with a guitarist called Steve Hunter, who's played with Alice Cooper way back in the 70s and, and is known as the, the riff king. He's the guy who comes up with great riffs. And he tells a fabulous story, how he came up with the opening riff to Peter Gabriel's Salisbury Hill. And it's such a great story that I, I wish it was me. I died out on it for years. So my neat thing is if you are a musician or you're just interested into the machinations of what happens with, with musicians, it's In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Fantastic podcast. There are probably as many podcasts of, of that as there are of, of the film file. So I'm not cheating on the film file to go to another <laughs> podcast. My love will always be here, but it's, it's a great listen, and especially if you're a musician. And that's it for this week. Thank you as ever for joining it. As I said at the top end, we love doing this. And we love that you are along for the ride. Uh, anything coming up in your world, Andy, or just more work?
1: Just more work. More work. And I'm going to try to get back into a routine of watching watching some old favourites because I'm missing, I'm missing my revisits of old films.
0: Well, I've got a, a few days off. Uh, we are going down to London. Um, taking the boy to to see the sights of London. Thankfully, he always wants to do the free ones, which is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Uh, but he does want us to do the Science Museum, and I, you know, it's just a. And we talked about this being in in lockdown for the last uh, goodness knows how long. I'm just looking forward to just to getting away from home, yeah, and and, and and breathing different air and seeing different sights that aren't my city and and everything around it. But we will see you again next week but before we go run runner
1: you don't have to die nobody has to die you can live live
0: you know there is no sanctuary